Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you on a day like today. Baptism reminds us all of what we're here for. We kicked off a series last week called Legacy, and the Legacy series is really about this idea that we are here to make a difference. What is going to happen as a result of our church being here? What's going to happen as a result of your family? What's going to happen as a result of what you do in your life? And if you, if you want to follow along with us, the ushers are in the aisles right now. They have message notes. If you didn't get a message note, please take one of those. They have pens as well if you need that. I'm a big fan of writing things down because I think God speaks to you while I'm speaking. At least that's my, <laughs> that's my hope. If it's just me speaking, we're all in trouble. So I, I, I just want to, uh, I, I want us to, I want us to jump in here. We're a little behind because we took, I took a little too much time in the baptism message. So I'm, so I'm going to, I'm just going to dive right in. I want to pray. And uh, if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke 6, that's where we're going to start. Luke 6. Father, we thank you for this moment. We open our Bibles. We open our hearts. We open our lives so that the entrance of your word will give us light, will give us clarity. Help us live as you desire for us to live. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would give us grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we, as we kick off this legacy series, it's important that you, that you know we also uh, have this thing that we do once a year, one time a year, a special legacy offering. It'll be in December and I, I'm, I'm, and I'm talking to you about it now because I don't want uh, anyone to ever feel like they were forced or pressured to give something to God. I have a very simple premise that I believe works in terms of how we are to become generous people, how we're to become the, the people God wants us to be. And, um, and it is simply this. I want you to pray and then do what he says. I want you to pray about giving, and the reason we do something called a legacy offering is because we're talking about what is, what's the, the difference maker as a church. What, how can we take a, a giant step forward as a church with buildings and with outreaches and with, with missions, and, and how can we do things that, are, that will sort of fill in the gaps where there are needs in our community? And so we, we, that's, that's what this uh, offering is for, and it's uh, December 9th, and I'm telling you seven weeks ahead of time because I, I want you to pray about it and think about it and get ready to do it because today I'm going to talk to you for a moment about givers and takers, givers and takers. And there's a definition for legacy that I think fits right into this. It's in your message notes there. It says something such as a tradition or a problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past, something that someone has achieved that continues to exist, that continues to exist after they stop working or after they die. This is what a legacy is, and you will leave a legacy. No matter who you are, you will leave a legacy one way or another, and it will be positive or it will be negative. There's, there are people, last week we talked about Mary, who broke open this really expensive jar of perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet, and Judas, who was in the same meeting watching it happen and didn't get the same effect, <laughs> 
and they both have quite a legacy. Mary has an incredible legacy, and Judas has a not-so-incredible legacy. But he's known the world over as the friend who betrayed. So this legacy will happen. And last week, we talked about this one verse, and we kind of used this as our jumping-off point. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is a giver, and and here's what I want you to listen to. Here's what I want you to think about today. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. And what God is interested in is changing something way down here on the inside of us. Because it is the essence of love, and that's the essence of God himself. That's what the scriptures actually teach, that God is love. God wants us to be like him. And that's why the, the, the Bible is a book about giving over and over and over again. You will see it's a book about giving. The scripture talks more about giving than it does heaven or hell. I don't know if you knew this. Check this out. Did you know that the word believe, the word believe is used 272 times in the Bible? God wants you to believe. The, the word pray is used 371 times in the Bible. God wants us to pray. The word love is used 714 times in the Bible. God wants us to learn how to love. But the word give is used 2,162 times. That's a, that's a trip. Because he wants you and I to learn how to be givers. Because the reality is, here's, here's the premise of today. The reality is there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are givers, and there are takers. There are givers, and there are takers. Only two. You're either a giver in life, or you're a taker. Takers, (laughs) this is the interesting thing, takers are always the unhappy ones. I don't know, I learned this because I have five kids. I have five children. And the grumpiest ones are the ones who haven't learned how to give yet. They just want to take. They want to take, 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 take. They take everything. They cry. They scream. They whine. They get angry. All because they just want to take, 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 take. It's not by accident that the word miser and miserable come from the same Greek word. Right? Miser and miserable. When I am a miser, I am miserable. The most giving, the most generous people in life are always giving their time, they're giving their energy, they're giving their resources, they're helping other people. They're the happiest people on the planet, typically. This is what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 6. If you want to join me there, Luke chapter 6, it says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Verse, eight, verse 28, it says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 31, go ahead and circle it. Go ahead and underline it. Put a little asterisk right there. Do to others as you would have them 
do to you? Can I just pause here and say, look at me. Every person in our culture who's not a Christian knows that you're supposed to act this way. I hate to tell you that. This is a thing in our culture, and this is the picture of Jesus. This is the picture of Jesus. And it, listen, I'm not saying it's easy and simple to, 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 like, it is simple. It's just very difficult to try to do. You have to have something happening on the inside of you. There has to be a real transformation like we talked about with water baptism. There has to be something on the inside of you that changes the way you think about life and think about this world and think about what's happening in your life and what's going to happen when you're gone and what you'll leave your children and what mark you'll leave on the world. Something has to change your perspective if you're going to live like this. Verse 32 says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure. Press down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, as I said those last couple of verses... Some of you might be in here and you're like, oh, I decided to come to church and they're just talking about money again. Listen, actually, this entire passage isn't about money. <laughs> like, they, they, like people use that scripture, give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that in church, I, I'd be a rich man. But here's, but here's the thing. This whole context that Jesus is talking about, this is just a little, like it's a little segment of it. Like it's a little piece. It's, it is true. There's something about uh, money that is true, but there's a bigger principle. There's a universal principle that Jesus is pointing to. And the world knows it's true too, and they call it all kinds of things like karma and like all these other, they know that there's this universal principle that operates in the world, and it is this principle that's true in every area, this law of creation and Jesus is highlighting it. He's saying, if you give judgment, if you're judgmental of other people, you're going to get judgment right back at you. It's going to happen to you. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the idea of whatever you give out, that's what's going to be given back to you. If you're critical of other people all the time, you're picking on them, nitpicking, they're going to be critical of you. If you gossip about other people, I guarantee it, people will gossip about you and how much you gossip. <laughs> if you're envious and jealous of other people, other people are going to be envious and jealous of you. Whatever you give out, that's what's going to come back. On the other hand, if you're consistently giving out encouragement, 
Like if you're encouraging other people, if you're sowing affirmation and you're sowing kindness and people are, people are going to be affirming and kind to you. If you sow love, if you're loving to other people, people are going to sow love back to you. Whatever you give out in life, you're going to get back. God wired the universe up this way. It's a principle. It's in effect. But here's the amazing thing. <laughs> here's the amazing thing. You get back more than you give. Always. You get back more than you give. Let me illustrate it. If I take a kernel of corn, I plant it in the ground. I'm not going to get one kernel of, kernel of corn back, am I? I'm going to get a whole stick. <laughs> some of you, it's been, some of you are really far away from farming. <laughs> no one has ever farmed in your family. And you're like, I have to, I have to teach you these things. Jesus, Jesus was, was uh, uh, using uh, all kinds of agrarian pictures and stories, all kinds of farmer analogies, and because it was, the, it was the society in which he lived. But if you take one kernel of corn and you put it in the ground and you put some water on it and, and you take care of it, it's going to become a stalk with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kernels. If I take one tomato seed and I plant it in the ground, I'm not going to get one tomato back. I'm going to get a whole bunch of tomatoes, a whole vine of tomatoes, tons of tomatoes. And whatever you give, that's what you're going to get back, but it's going to come back worse on you or better. And so why is this? Why does it work? See, God wants you and me to learn to be givers instead of takers. This is a universal principle, and we've got to understand what this means. The reason Jesus asks me to become a giver is because it's the opposite of human nature. It's my nature to amass, to hoard, to stockpile, to accumulate, to get it all for myself, and to be fearful and insecure, and to think, oh my gosh, I can't give away anything. I've got to keep it all. I've got to keep taking, because I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of everything that's going on in my life. I got I to keep collecting. Bob McEwen tells this really funny story about his son. I'm going I'm to read it to you. It says, he took his son over to McDonald's and he bought him supersized french fries. Okay. He said driving back home that these things smelled so good in the car, the aroma was just wafting over. You ever done that? Taking your kids in the car, you're just like, he said, I reached over and took one little french fry out of my son's french fries and I ate it. My son freaked out. All upset. He said, Dad, you can't have that one. These are my fries. He said, and I, he said I immediately had three thoughts. First, I thought, my child has forgotten that I am the source of all fries. <laughs> I brought him here. I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed them to him. I'm driving him back home. He wouldn't have any fries if it weren't for me. <laughs> the only reason, the only reason he got any fries was because of me, the great fry giver. <laughs> he said, the second thing I thought is, my child doesn't realize that I could take them away in a second if I wanted to. Or on the other hand, I could buy him an entire truckload if I wanted to because I have the power to do that. The third thing I realized is I didn't need his fries. I could easily get my own fries. I could buy myself 100 packs of them if I wanted to. I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. Those three lessons are why God wants you and I to learn to be givers 
First, God says, I want you to remember that I'm the source of everything you've got. You wouldn't have anything. You've got zip, you've got nothing. He's the source of it all. You wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for him. <laughs> right? That's what God says, look, you, you wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for me. I, I chose you. I chose you to create you. I, I've chosen to give you all the things that you have, and I have more for you. It's all for me. Second, I could take away from you just like that. I could take it all away. Or I could double it just like that because I've got the power to do that to you. And three, God says, I don't need your fries. I don't need your fries. I don't need your money. I'm not poor. I just want you to learn to be unselfish is what God's saying to you and me. And as your pastor, what I want to say to you is I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want, you to, I want you to experience something in life that, that stretches your faith with God and learns how to be unselfish and learns how to be generous and learns how to develop your faith. This is so significant for us to understand because most people follow God the wrong way. Most people follow God out of obligation. They follow God out of obligation. Most people follow God out of the have to instead of the get to. In other words, most people don't enjoy prayer. They just know that they're supposed to pray. Nothing kills prayer like knowing you have to pray. <laughs> and it's so funny because you're talking to the creator of the universe who knows everything about your job, about your life, about what's happened to you in the past. But he knows what's going to happen to you in the future he has a purpose and a plan for you and we're like oh, i guess i should pray <laughs> what is this this is a problem don't don't pray with a have to pray with a get to most people don't enjoy reading their bible they just know they're supposed to read their bible and it creates a generation of religious people religious people have no power. They're following God out of a sense of obligation and duty, but not enjoying the ride. They're not enjoying the ride, and I personally believe that this is not God's best for us. I'm not saying that there's not a place for discipline or obedience. There is, for sure, but please listen to me. God doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to just stay there. God wants you to enjoy this journey with him, and serving God should be a delight and not a duty. Church, church should not be something that you have to endure. I just, I don't know, I just, it, it, it's something you should enjoy because here's the truth. Look at Philippians 2.13. It's in your message notes there. It says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Look, 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 this is, this is profound, friends. Giving you the desire. God's actually working in you to change your will so that you're willing to read your Bible. So that you have a willingness to pray. So that you have a willingness, a want to, to go to church. In other words, I don't have to. I want to. And this is how it works with all of our kids. Every parent knows that at the beginning, you're going to have to train them, and you're going to have to discipline, and there's going to be some obedience dynamics. And, you, and so you protect them, and then you train them, you tell them what they, they need to do, and you, you motivate them 
to do the right thing. But you want them to be motivated on their own and not just because of you. The goal, the end goal of parenting is as they grow up, they're doing the right things because they're motivated to do something good, to be a giver instead of a taker. I want to show you the true joy and thrill as your pastor of following God and leaving a legacy. I want us to think up deeply about this idea. This is what God is looking for. 2 Corinthians 8, 12, Paul the apostle says, for if the willingness, everybody say willingness. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable to God. It doesn't matter what the gift is, it's about the motive. Passion comes from when you clearly define the why. How do we get that kind of heart? How do, we, how do we get that willingness? Where does it come from? We have to understand the why. The why motivates it all. If you're married and you forget the why, you, <laughs> your love for your spouse, you forget why you love her or him. If you forget the why of your own purpose in life, things start to become miserable. You start looking around. You've got to know the whys. This is why, fill in, fill in these, this, this last blank on your first page. It says, when I lose my why, I lose my way. The reality is some of you have lost your way today because you, you've lost your why. Your marriage is in trouble because you've lost the why. You're even married. Some of you who are single have lost the why of your career. You think it's for you. Some of you are not enjoying your job because you've lost the why you even took that job in the first place. Your relationship with the Lord, for some of you, is just, meh, that's a whole hum. I come to church, I, eh, whatever, because you've lost the why. You've lost the why of you decided to follow him in the first place. And this is how I want to lead our church. I want us to be a people who understand the why, who love to give to teachers and staff like we did last year with Sunset Elementary. I want to be the kind of church that loves to come alongside another business and be a blessing. I want to be a kind of a church that loves to invest in the next generation and send them to missions trips and camps and, and retreats. I want to be a church that loves to plant churches plant the gospel in places where they're needed all around this often austin region and so why is a legacy question why should we even do this legacy thing because being a giver a person that gives away who they are defines what a christian christian actually is i am a giver because, number one, Jesus gave to me first. Jesus gave to me first. Matthew 10, 8 says, freely you have received, freely give. The Message Bible says it this way, you have been treated generously, so live generously. And it's easy to do this once you've experienced all that God has for you. Robert Harris, who's a, an English novelist and, and, and author, is an amazing person. He says, if one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. You've got this um, something extra card, this little kindness card sitting all around you. I think they put it on every other chair. But you don't need 
a kindness card to do something kind, do you? This is just a reminder. They're sitting on your chair, and I want you to take them with you today. The purpose of these cards is to remind you of, of just ideas to do something kind. To, here, here's, a, here's a few ideas. Deliver fresh baked cookies or pumpkin bread to a neighbor or a coworker. Just, just do it. Bring fresh flowers to someone. Offer to babysit for free. Pray for someone's cough. Pray <laughs> for someone's coffee. Go ahead and pay for it too. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Pay for the coffee as well. I think that's really helpful. In the drive-thru, pay for someone's fast food meal behind you in the drive-thru. Send a note of encouragement to someone. Do you know how rare a handwritten note is these days? Leave a big tip for your server at a restaurant. Help someone you know who is struggling financially. Pay for someone's movie while you're standing in line. Pay for someone's meal or dessert at a restaurant. Bake some goodies and take them to the police station, the fire station, or a hospital. Take a box of donuts to a school, an office. Cook a meal for a neighbor who's in need. The opportunities are These are some practical suggestions, applications of intentionally giving what I have and not just using it all up on me. Number two, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I am a giver because it's more blessed to give than to receive. These are the words of Jesus in Acts 20, 35. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this word blessed in the Greek is the word makarios, which means giddy, happy, fired up about it. <laughs> It's like, I'm a Pastor Ross, I'm just, I don't know. It's, it is kind of painful because i got to let go of something. And <laughs> No, Jesus is saying, you got to realize there's something really good happening. And listen, the world even knows this. Even if they even have anything to do with Jesus and they want to do, they feel so good about themselves when they give. False sense of feeling good about themselves, right? Right, because they still need Jesus. But there's something that God designed for every human to act this way. And they're tapping into it when they do it. The Message Bible says it this way. You'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said you're far happier giving than getting. <laughs> I want you to think about this for a moment because it feels good to give. Have you ever seen those people on TV, the, you know, the, the share-a-thons and all this stuff, and they, they say something, I want you to give till it hurts. I don't believe in that. I think you should give till it feels good. You give until it feels good. If it hurts, you're not doing it enough yet. Giving makes me happy. That's what Jesus said. Because listen, who's happier in life? The takers or the givers? No, the givers. Takers are not happy. They're scared to death. They're going to lose what they've got. They're frightened. They're insecure. They're, they're uptight. They're not happy people. They're not generous people. So God says, I want to produce happiness in you because the happiest people are the most generous people. Winston Churchill, brilliant Winston Churchill says it this way, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. Find channels of generosity. Use this card to remind you, but you don't need the card. Number three, I'm in co covenant. I am a giver because I'm in covenant with God and with you. Listen, 
one chapel. God has a plan for this earth. And the way he does it is that he, get, he groups people together relationally. He puts them together in communities. And he wants them to get close enough to each other so that we can do more together than we can on our own. And he groups them together. God needs us to get close. One chapel, we're not close enough yet to do all that God wants for us. By the way, this is the reason why the devil attacks relationships so aggressively, so relentlessly. He attacks relationships because if he can keep you separated, if he can keep you only thinking about yourself, you'll never be effective. Your full potential can only be reached when you find a covenant family. And listen, church family, this, this doesn't, it doesn't have to be here. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of great churches in, in the Austin region, but you've got to find one. And when you do, and when you decide, these are my people, something powerful happens. And I think when Amy and I decided to move from Colorado to Austin, uh, a little more than eight years ago now, I remember... I remember thinking, am I crazy? Is this nuts? Like, I, I have a career here. Like, I, I'm going to lose money if I do this. <laughs> My kids, I have five of them. That's going to be costly. <laughs> I, we kind of thought, every once in a while, every few days, we thought, are we crazy? Is this nuts? This, I don't know if this is good. But we did it, and we did it willingly. We did it by faith. We did it with joy. We did something. When we were trying to figure out how to move forward as a church, and we went from a one location to a multi-location vision, some people actually did say, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> That's crazy. You need to keep amassing. Not giving away. But we did it willingly. We did it together. I love being in this family with you. I love what Jesus is making us into as a people. I love how he's forming us. And he's not even close to done yet. He's working in us. And there's more that is coming in our future. If we will just embrace one another and embrace the idea of a mission together to be givers in our community. Psalm 92, 13 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And that's where you'll flourish too. You have something you'll only realize when you connect with other believers. In fact, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Listen, when you put your skill set together with somebody else's skill set and we begin to work together, something powerful happens because none of us are as good as all of us. Number four, I really believe in the vision of the local church. I believe God's called us to make a difference. Ephesians 3.10 says, though through Christians like yourselves, Paul says, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about, <laughs> I love this, even among the angels. Oh, I'd like to be talked about among the angels. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, it sounds a little weird. Here's the thing. I don't have time to get into that. Here's the beauty of it. If the angels are talking about it, that means the neighborhood is talking about it. That's all I'll say. 
Did you know that 80% of the hurricane relief that came for Hurricane Harvey victims came through Christians? 80%. Think about that just for a minute. Because we didn't, we didn't get the credit for that either. Right? And often you won't. You give and you expect that God sees it and the angels see it. And you put your trust in him and his power to do what's necessary. 65% of the hospitals built in poverty-stricken areas of the world are put there by Christians. Take the local church out of the world and you have chaos. I believe in the local church. I believe in this. I believe in what we're doing. Number five, one day I want to hear Jesus say, well done. <laughs> one day I want to hear Jesus say, Jesus wants to be able to look at you and look at me and say, you did it. I'm so proud of you. You did what I asked you to do. I gave you these talents and I gave you these gifts. He wants to be able to say that to you. I gave you these opportunities. I gave you these relationships and you did something with it. The Bible describes that Jesus will one day come in the clouds to meet you and he's bringing his rewards. Everybody say rewards. His rewards. That word reward in the Greek, it means that he wants to pay us back. That's crazy. That's a crazy idea, isn't it? Because you can, I can't imagine that. It's like, no, Jesus, you've done so much for me. You don't need to do anything. But he says, no, I want to. I want to. Thank you. This is, I want you to share everything I have. Thank you for doing your part. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for giving what you had. Matthew 25, 23 says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's. One day your name is going to be called, my name is going to be called. And there's going to be a moment in front of Jesus, and I want you to prepare for it because there is more to this life than just this life. There is more to this life than this life. Bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Put your stuff aside for a second. Sorry, I got so emotional there. Whew. It's meaningful to me. It's like, like this, there's a, there's a sense of destiny and vision that lives inside of me, and I want it to live inside of you, that you are chosen. And, and it, it, don't misunderstand here. We're not talking about having to walk out these doors today and do something so profound and amazing that everybody... No, I'm, I'm talking about little actions. Simple steps that start you and me into the habit of leaving a legacy. The simple habit of giving a, giving a, a gift, giving our hearts, giving our energy, giving our our lives away, that we become, become in the habit of, of acting in a way that we're going to act the, the rest of our life and the, 
and all of eternity. I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you join me? Father, forgive us for forgetting that we are your people. Forgive us for being selfish. Forgive us for being takers. Forgive us for thinking, just thinking about ourselves. Forgive us for trying to amass instead of being willing to give. And Lord, there's a, there's this place we want to live. There's, there's this idea we want to embrace that you are a giver and we're becoming like you. And so Lord, would you fill our hearts with love? Forgive us for not loving well. Forgive us for not being moved by compassion. Forgive us for hardened hearts. Break our hearts down. Change our hearts. Do something supernatural to change our heart from a hardened heart to a soft heart. Would you do that right now as we come to you? Forgive us. Heal us change us, do something supernatural in each of us, change our mind, our mind towards our spouses, our mind towards our kids, our mind towards our parents, our minds, change our minds towards our coworkers, change our minds towards our boss, change our minds toward the people around us, help us to see them as you do, we want to give ourselves away to them. And believe that you have plenty more that you will give back to us. We receive that today. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your change of heart and a change of mind. We choose you today. We choose to be a giver. In Jesus' name.